All right, let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that your word is true above everything else that we see, above everything else we experience. Lord, your word promises us that you would keep us in perfect peace as our minds are stayed upon you because we trust in you. Lord, I believe tonight that you are filled with integrity in what you say you mean. Lord, and, and you mean what you say. And we thank you tonight that we can trust your word, trust what you say. Father, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is a little bit of an unusual service. We normally have a room full of people, but tonight there are just a, three or four of us in here. But I appreciate you listening to the message. We live in unusual times, very unusual times. And uh, you know, I, I read last week that there were plagues of locusts in northern Africa. That sounds like the Bible. Earthquakes. I mean, there was an earthquake in Utah just, what, a couple weeks ago. A big earthquake. Uh, and then, of course, the coronavirus has pretty much made the world come to a standstill. And that's why we're doing this uh, recording and we're not doing it uh, with several people here. But, you know, I, I'm seeing that fear is abounding. Panic is in the air. I mean, just go to the store if the toilet paper truck gets there. And people are going crazy just to get to the toilet paper. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.1, he said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And we've looked at this verse many times before. The word perilous means fierce. The, the gathering demoniac who had the legion of demons, it says he was fierce. And it's that same Greek word as perilous in the, in the Greek. But it also means dangerous, difficult, troublesome. So we live in difficult times, troublesome times. I mean, I know we're all tired of hearing about how many cases of the coronavirus there are and all those things. We just, we just believe God to end the thing and to give people the wisdom to know what to do. I always think that, you know, when things get old, they start to wear out and they get creaky. Things happen. The earth is old and it's almost over. I mean, it's old enough. Jesus is about to return. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and that's going to be an awesome thing. But I find that many people are in fear. No matter who you talk to today, you're going to run into people that are afraid. But what we know is that fear is not now nor ever the will of God. He never wants us to fear. The Bible tells us over and over, fear not. 360 sometimes it says to fear not. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 27, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I love that verse. Jesus gives us his very own peace. But here's the deal. He said, let not your heart be troubled. The subject here is you. He tells us it's our responsibility to not let our heart be troubled. We must choose to not let our hearts be troubled. The scripture says in, in Matthew, I believe it is, he, he, Jesus said, he said that men's hearts will fail them because of fear, because they're afraid. We don't want to be people whose hearts fear, who are afraid. The sermon last Sunday morning, fear was identified as a spirit. Jackie read the passage in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This is a spiritual thing. 
The fight against fear is a spiritual fight because fear, fear is something that takes us over and it, it's a spiritual thing. It's never okay to live in fear. Fear cancels faith. You can either be in faith or you can be in fear, but you can't be in both at the same time. Four times the Bible tells us that we live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Our whole life is in faith, and if we're in faith, we can't be in fear. The Bible tells us we walk by faith and not by what we can see, hear, taste, touch, or smell. We walk by faith. We cannot be in faith and fear at the same time. So we're not to live in fear, but we must also hear the direction of the Holy Spirit. What I'm seeing happen a lot to, to, to Christians these days is they either, many of them are either in fear and hiding or they're in this, what I call a pseudo faith that forces them into what I call a, a faith machoism. And that kind of results in, down, in, in people's downfall. I mean, somebody asked me the other day, they said, if I thought it was wrong that churches weren't meeting, coming together. And they said, wasn't that a manifestation of fear? Wasn't it wrong? Shouldn't the church just anyway come together and just say, we're not afraid? Well, this, this was my answer that day. I said, if the Holy Spirit specifically says, go ahead and meet in spite of the virus, and I'll protect all who attend. If, if the Holy Spirit specifically said that, we'd be wrong not to meet. But if the church just meets to prove a point, and the Spirit didn't prompt us to do that, we're just being foolish. People are like, we're not afraid. We're going to meet and we're going to do that. Well, if the Holy Spirit didn't say do that, then we don't need to do that. We've got to follow the Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter 1, verse 12, the Scripture says, And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. Talking about the Holy Spirit and Jesus. He came up out of the baptismal waters, and it says immediately the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness. So we mustn't allow fear and panic to drive us, but we do need to let the Holy Spirit be the driver and do what the Holy Spirit says. So that, that's Matthew's part of Jesus going to be tempted. I mean, that's Mark. In Matthew's gospel, he talks about Jesus being tempted. And, and, and I'm going to read you this. This is in Matthew chapter 5. Chapter 4, verse 5. It says, Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God. Now that's an interesting statement. The devil didn't even know who Jesus was till he came up out of the water, and the Father said, This is my Son. Because he tried to kill him all that time, but it wasn't until that day he figured out who it was. So the devil now comes to Jesus, and the first thing he starts saying is, If you're really the Son of God. If you're really the Son of God. Now, this is the second temptation. He said, if you're really the Son of God, cast yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Now, the devil quoted Jesus a real verse from the Psalms. He's quoting the Bible to Jesus. Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now, this is interesting. The devil accurately quotes the Psalms because he's trying to get Jesus to do something foolish. Jesus, on the other hand, was driven by the Holy Spirit and not by the devil. And so Jesus understood that, yes, the Bible said that, but in the context of what it's talking about, you can't just put God to some foolish test. And so Jesus is like, no, I don't have to do that. So what would have happened if he had jumped? He had crashed because the Spirit did not lead him to jump. Okay, Another passage of Scripture. 
Jesus says in Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So in light of that, those verses, does that mean if we're really believers, we ought to have some snakes in this room tonight <laughs> to prove that we have faith? Is that what that means? Does that mean we need to be drinking poison in our services just to prove that we're not afraid? No, that's not what that means at all. It means if we're being driven by the Spirit, then we are, if, we're, if we're confronted by serpents as we're obeying what God says to, the, to us to do, then we can remove the snakes and they won't harm us. It says if, we're doing, if the Spirit is driving us and we're doing what He says, then if someone tries to poison us, it's not going to work. Kind of like when Paul got bit by the snake out of the fire, he simply shook it off because Paul had a word from God. He was going to Rome. He's doing what he's supposed to do by the leading of the Spirit. He didn't go out and find snakes and play with them. He simply was doing what the Lord told him to do. So we, we need to understand if we're driven by the Spirit, he is going to protect us. If we're preaching the gospel as God calls us to do, He's going to take care of us. It doesn't mean we can foolishly play with snakes or foolishly just go around drinking poison or foolishly jump off of a tall building just because the Scripture promises we're not going to cast, we're not going to uh, let, our, let our foot be harmed against a stone. We've got to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. So we have, we have to be bold and we have to be courageous. We must never fear but we also must be wise. We've got to be led by the Spirit. So when the churches are saying, we're not going to meet, we're going to meet online, thank God we can meet online. Thank God that we have different ways to communicate with one another. But when the churches choose that, it doesn't mean we're afraid, and it's not a manifestation of fear. If the Holy Spirit says, meet and prove me, then we need to meet and prove him. But if he hadn't said that, we're foolish to try that. Because the worst thing that would happen is if, if they met and all kinds of people got sick because there was no faith to do what was supposed to be done. The scripture says in Proverbs 28 verse 1, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. We have to be bold like a lion. That doesn't mean we be foolish though. That doesn't mean we do things that the Holy Spirit has never instructed us to do. We do what he says to do. That's why we're in this room tonight in obedience to what the, the mandate of the, of, of the mayor is. We're here. We're still preaching. We're still doing what we're supposed to do. And I believe that God is going to bless all of us in our group because we're obeying him. And the Lord didn't lead us to prove something to somebody. We're simply doing what we can do to be our community while we're apart. So that's important for us to know. We've got to be wise, but we've got to be brave. All right, let me get to a passage of Scripture. This is where I want to get to. Now, I don't want to teach you. This is my text, my main text. We've read this several weeks in a row, but I want to read this to you. This is out of Galatians chapter 3. I think I'm going to read in, starting in verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. That's one of the four times that's in the Bible. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ, oh, what this is talking about, apart from Christ and the redemption of him, people are subject to the law. Apart from Jesus, they're subject to the law, and they will receive the judgment of the law. 
Verse 13, though, says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for his written curse is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, we've been looking at the blessing of the Lord. We've seen that the blessing of the Lord is God's empowerment for us to rise to the highest place. We can see from these passages that Jesus became a curse for us that we might have the very blessing of Abraham. The very thing that Abraham had, we have. We know the scripture says in Genesis 26, verse 1 or 2, it says Abraham was blessed in all things. We have the very blessing of Abraham. That's what the Bible promises us. The Bible says that God preached the gospel to Abraham and that the gospel was about blessing. All right, when Jesus preached the gospel, his very first sermon begins with the word bless, and he repeats that over and over. So we've been talking about this blessing. All right, last time we talked about the blessing and the curse of the law. We, we saw how that the Israelites got on two different mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, and the ones on Mount Gerizim pronounced the blessing that came from keeping the law. The ones that got on Mount Ebal pronounced the curse that came from keeping the law. When they pronounced those things... I'm telling you, the curse of the law was released into the earth by their words. When they pronounced it as God directed them, the curse of the law was there. The curse of the law is here. It's, it's everywhere. But so is the blessing of hearkening to the voice of the Lord. All right? The blessing and the curse were released at that time. So we need to understand that this idea of blessing and cursing is very real. It's actually taught throughout the whole scripture. The blessing and the cursing. Blessing and cursing. The scripture says in Acts 3.26, Unto you first, God having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you. Jesus came to bless us. Jesus is, is the fulfillment of all the blessing. The Bible says he became a curse that we might have the blessing of Abraham. So I want us to look a little more at this tonight. I want us to see this, this, this curse and this blessing. I, some people, I heard somebody say, well, I don't believe in curses. Well, I'm telling you, the curse is out there. It's as real as gravity. I mean, it's very real. Just because someone doesn't believe it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I mean, if, you, you know, if you're falling down a staircase, whether you believe in gravity or not, it's still working. The curse is out there. We are the ones who get to choose whether we live in the curse or the blessing. So first of all, we got to know the will of God. Scripture says in Ephesians 5 verse 17, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. That's an interesting passage, isn't it? It's unwise to not know what the will of the Lord is. That's the, the, well, people, well, you never know what God will do. Well, really you do. He will do whatever he says he will do. He will always do the word. It's unwise. Now, how do we know his will? We know his will by his word and by his spirit. His word and his spirit will never contradict one another. That is the will of God. When we can find something in the Bible, we know that's his will. Okay? What is his will regarding the blessing and the curse? We need to know which one is his will. We saw from Galatians chapter 3, just what we read a minute ago, that the will of God is blessing because Jesus became a curse that we might have the blessing of Abraham. The will of God is redemption from the curse to the blessing of Abraham. 
We need to know the will of God. And the reason we've got to know the will of God is because faith can only come to us as we know his will. You cannot believe God for something you're not sure he wants you to have. If I know it's his will for me to have it, then I can believe him for it. When my kids were small, if I ever said to them, we're going to Six Flags, then they could be sure that was my will and they could have faith for it. But if they had, if I never said that, then they would not be sure. They could say, Daddy, I want to go to Six Flags. But they wouldn't know for sure it was my will. They could only hope and not have faith. So the will of God, be, I mean, the faith in God begins where the will of God is known. If I am sure that God wants me to have a thing, then I can believe him for it. If I'm not sure, then I can't really believe that God will provide it for me. If I don't know what the Bible says for about salvation, for example, if I don't understand the will of God is to save me, then I might not be able to have faith to receive it. If I don't believe it's the will of God to heal me, then I won't have the faith to receive the healing. See, the, the problem people have is, is that they, they hope that God will do something. They're, they're, they're saying, they pray the prayer, if it be thy will, well, we know if it's in the word, it is his will. And we're wasting our breath to say, if it be thy will. We say, Lord, your word says, this is your will. And I believe that that's what your will is. Too many times we don't know the will of God. We don't, because we've not spent time in the word, we've not spent time in prayer, in the spirit, to find out. We need to discover what is the will of God and connect to what he says. And we connect to the blessing of the Lord when we receive by faith the things that he's promised. We connect to the curse when we fail to connect to the blessing and we need to learn what we're supposed to resist and what we're supposed to believe for. Too many Christians are, are resisting the wrong thing and connecting to the wrong thing. Many Christians aren't convinced of the will of the Lord regarding his blessing, and they simply accept the curse without a fight. That's the problem. All right? Deuteronomy chapter 28 lists the blessing of the law and the curse of the law. If you read it, the first 15 verses or so are about the blessing. And it, and it lists them. The next many verses talk about the curse of the law. There is a huge difference between the blessing and the curse. When the blessing, when you walk in the blessing of God, we, it, the Bible declares that we're blessed coming, we're blessed going. When we don't walk in the blessing, we're cursed coming and we're cursed going. There's a huge difference between the two. There's no reason to ever get those two things confused. Mm -hmm. Yet many Christians don't seem to get the difference between the two. The first part talks about the blessing coming upon us. The second part talks about the curse coming upon us. The curse, if you just read Deuteronomy 28, and maybe we'll do that one of these Wednesday nights, the curse includes... Sickness, poverty, lack, defeat at the hands of the enemy, untimely death. That's what it includes. Those are the main things it includes. There's a huge difference between the blessing of God and the curse. Many people are convinced 
and they preach it this way, that a lot of those things that are listed in the curse, they call them a blessing in disguise. But they're not listed as blessings, they're listed as curses. Now, we know this, that God can use anything, even if it was cursed, if we'll turn it to God and submit to him, we know that God can turn it to his glory and that he can change it. But it doesn't mean that he gave it. Yeah. Doesn't mean that, that these things were ascribed to him and from him. And yet Christians often are talking about, oh, this was just a blessing in disguise. Listen, God doesn't have to bring a curse on people to get glory. He doesn't have to do that. I mean, one time there was a man that was born blind and, and Jesus was walking by and the disciples said, was this man born blind? Was, was, this, was this his fault or his parents' fault? And it's like, well, he was born blind. It couldn't have been his fault. He was born that way. Maybe it was his parents' fault. But Jesus said, no, no, neither of those are right. He was born blind that the glory of God could be made manifest. Here's the deal, though. In that passage, in that story in John, the Bible never says God got glory from the blindness, ever. It says God got glory when he was healed. That's when people glorified God. When I mean, when he was healed, that's when God got glory. God gets glory not from giving people the curse, but from bringing people the blessing. All right? I mean, that, that's, that's just God. And it, it, he, listen, God is the one who blesses. As long as we think the curse is a blessing, we'll never resist it. If I think somehow the disease is God's blessing in disguise, I won't resist the, the blessing. I won't resist the curse. I'll just receive it and just take it at face value. I'll never have faith for God's purpose. Listen, the devil or a man may have meant it, evil, meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What that means is the Lord can turn it around for good. But God can teach us in different ways. He doesn't have to work with the devil to teach me something. Now, I can learn something from it, and God can help me with it, but I can learn by His Word and by His Spirit. You know, I mean, I grew up, and we, this is what we would say, well, I don't know why the Lord made us poor. I, you know, uh, my, my, family, my family's always been poor. My daddy was poor. My grandfather was poor. And we thought that's the way it was supposed to be. And so we just pronounced the blessing on us and future generations. Well, God didn't make anybody poor. God didn't make us that way. I mean, we became poor. We were poor, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. Here's what the scripture says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, when it's talking about this blessing and, and, and this curse. Deuteronomy 15 and then verse 19, it says, The Lord said, See, I've set before thee this day life and good, death and evil. Verse 19 says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Here's what we know. The will of God is blessing. That is his will. He even tells us that. He tells us you got, you got life and death. you got blessing and cursing. Choose life, which includes the curse, which includes the good. He even told us which one to do. The choice is ours to make. I mean, God wants us to have blessing. It's his will for us to have blessing. It, he's not working with the devil to try to, you know, they're not partnering up. He's not saying, okay, you give him the curse for a little while, and then I'll help him. That's not what he's doing. He doesn't need the devil to help him. Uh, the devil is the enemy. God is good. 
The blessing is good. The devil is evil and the curse is evil. They're two separate things and we can't get them confused. We can't try to make the curse be the blessing when the Bible clearly defines the difference between the two. The blessing is different than the curse. They're opposites of one another. So that brings me to this question. Do you deserve the curse? <laughs> See, most people have this mentality, well, we just deserve it. I deserve to be cursed. Well, if Jesus became a curse for me, do I still deserve it? See, that's what happened. The devil is the accuser. And he will come and he will say to people, you deserve this. You just, you, the chickens are coming home to roost now. You deserve that. I'm here to say tonight, if Jesus became a curse for you, you no longer deserve the curse. The price has already been paid. He became the curse. So I no longer deserve it. He took the curse in my place. If God wanted me to be cursed, he would have never sent Jesus. It would have been that simple because I was cursed already. Jesus became a curse. I don't have to take it. I don't deserve it anymore. When God sees me, he sees me as justified. He sees me as whole. He sees me as holy. I don't deserve a curse because somebody paid for it. The scripture says in Proverbs 26, verse 2, we read this last time, but we're going to look at it a little more here tonight. As the bird by wandering, as a swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. Now that sounds pretty good. The curse shall not come. I like that. It shall not come. Let me read you the complete Jewish version of that. It says, like a fluttering sparrow or a flying swallow, an undeserved curse will not come to roost. The chickens ain't coming to roost here because the curse is undeserved. It is undeserved. The Amplified says, like a sparrow in her wandering, like the swallow in her flying, so the causeless curse does not alight. An undeserved curse cannot find a place to land on its own. It does not have the right. It cannot do it. If Jesus became my curse, if he paid for it in all, for in full, I no longer deserve the curse. It cannot land upon me without my permission. It is undeserved. It, th this curse is, is, is causeless. It has no cause. It has no reason. Listen, we must resist anything that is listed in the curse of, in the Bible. It cannot come to roost on me or you. It cannot do that because it doesn't have a right. It just gets to fly around and doesn't get to land because it doesn't, it doesn't have, have a cause. The scripture says in Ephesians 4.27, neither give place to the devil. Who's not supposed to give place to the devil? You, me. We're not supposed to give him place. It's up to us not to give him a landing spot. When it says give no place, it says spot, literally in the Greek. Don't give him a spot to land. Don't give him a place. Don't let him come upon us. We connect to the blessing or we connect to the curse depending on what we do with what God said. 
It's our choice. We get to choose. We connect to it. Deuteronomy tells us, it says, if we hearken to the word. If we hearken to his word, blessing comes upon us. My choice. If we will not hearken to the word, the curse will come upon us. It's already out there. We just get to choose which current we want to be a part of. We just get to choose if we want to be a part of the blessing, we want to be a part of the curse. The word hearken means to hear intelligently, to pay attention and obey. We have to hear what he said and obey what he said. It's not complicated. You know what the number one problem in the world is? It's not the coronavirus, I'll tell you that right now. The number one problem in the world is rebellion. Rebellion to the Word of God. Obedience will connect us to the blessing of God. Rebellion will connect us to the curse. Anytime we choose to not obey what God said, we connect to the wrong thing. Doesn't mean we can't repent and turn around because God is mercy is new every morning. Thank you, Jesus. But we have a choice. We have a choice to not connect to that. God wants us to know the causeless curse doesn't get to land unless we give it permission. Oh, man, this is really fun. I like this. Listen to these verses. <laughs> right before he said, I'm going to give you the choice between life and death, blessing and cursing, he said this. And this is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. He says, For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldst say who shall go up to heaven and bring it to us, that we may hear it and obey it. Neither is it beyond the sea that, we, that thou shouldst say who shall, go over the sea for us, who, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very nigh thee in thy mouth, and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. Then he gives us a choice. Now we mostly hear those verses quoted in Romans chapter 10. And you know it's in Romans chapter 10. And that's where, you know, in the church we talk. That's how we get people saved. I mean, we, we tell them that you've got to believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and you'll be saved. But we, those verses in Romans 10 come from, from that passage of Scripture. Here's the answer to receiving the blessing. I mean... Deuteronomy 30 is the result of the discussion of Deuteronomy 28 and 29, and this is telling us how to walk in God's blessing. The answer, man, this is the answer to the curse. The answer to the curse, because people say, well, how, well, how do you get out of the curse? Well, the answer to the curse is right under your nose. It's in your mouth and in your heart. In your mouth and in your heart. Romans says that if you believe in your heart and say with your mouth, you can be saved. There is nothing more ultimately cursing than not being born again. That's the ultimate curse. But you can be saved, delivered, rescued, made well, be whole when you say with your mouth and believe in your heart. Jesus has already paid for it. It's done. It's paid for. We simply need to learn how to say and believe. We say what he said because we believe what he said. That's why he said, See, I've set before thee this day life and good, death and evil. We must choose the word of God. That is the connector to his blessing. That connects us to the will of God. That connects us to eternity. That is the most important thing we can do. Is simply say it because we believe it. I mean, that is, that's, that's where the blessing of the Lord comes from.
Ooh, man, this is good, huh? Let me read you this verse of Scripture, Psalm 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. He is good. We read in Deuteronomy that the blessing is good. His mercy endures forever. I love that. The devil is the accuser. He will continually tell you that you deserve the curse. And he does it all the time. You deserve it. But that's why Jesus came and his blood avails for our rescue. His mercy endures forever. And then the very next verse says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We are to say it. What are we to say? We're not to say stuff like, well, I don't know why God gave me this cancer. It must be a blessing in disguise. No, that's not. We don't say that. We're to resist the curse and declare that we are the redeemed of the Lord. And we've been redeemed by Jesus' blood and that we have received the blessing of Abraham. You know, we grew up saying, we poor, but we proud. I mean, we, that's two problems in one. <laughs> that's not what we say. We don't say stuff. We, we say we are the redeemed. We must put the word in our mouths because we've hidden it in our hearts. And what our hearts are full of is what we're going to say. But we've got to understand, we've got to say something. We've got to say so. Remember when Jesus... I think I've even taught this before. I can't remember for sure. When Jesus was tried and Pilate sent him to the whipping post. Remember that? He didn't say a word. Isaiah said, as the lamb before the slaughterers is dumb, Jesus didn't speak. He did not say a word. He did not deserve the curse even a little bit. He didn't deserve it. I mean, he did deserve it. He said... He told the disciples, he said, I can call more than 12 legions of angels right now. But he didn't do it. Why didn't he speak up? Why didn't he say something? Because he was becoming the curse for you and for me. He took the curse, became the curse. He was paying a price that you and I don't ever have to pay. He paid it. All we have to do is by faith receive the payment that Jesus made. I mean, if I have to pay it, it's not just. The just and rightful thing is for me to say, I am no longer liable for it. Jesus paid it. The result is, he became a curse. I no longer deserve the curse. He didn't say anything. He did not say a word. He became the curse. But then in Acts chapter 22, the Apostle Paul was going to be examined by scourging, the Bible says. I mean, he was bound. He was placed on the whipping post, much like Jesus. I mean, he was put there. They're getting ready to whip him. They'd already ripped his shirt off. They're getting ready to whip him. And then Paul said something. Now, see, Jesus didn't say anything because he became a curse. Paul spoke up, and he asked a question. He said, is it legal? For you to scourge an uncondemned Roman. That's pretty amazing. That's all he said to this guy. And the centurion was getting ready to whip him. And he said, Boy, is it right for you to condemn me? I'm a citizen. He, he, apparently he dropped his whip. Went to the office. Got the captain. And said, um, this guy is a Roman. And the captain gets up and he comes out. And he goes to Paul, and he, I think the Bible says he ran to him. He said, wait, wait, you're, you're, you're a citizen? And Paul said, yeah. He said, 
It costs a lot of money for me to get my citizenship. And Paul said, yeah, well, I was free born. Paul spoke up. The redeemed of the Lord said something. And because he said something, the centurion and the captain had to let him go. He spoke up. Here's the question. Did he deserve a scourging? The answer is no, he didn't. But if he hadn't spoken up, he would have received it. He had to say something. He had to resist the beating. He had to resist it. Here's the deal. We are free born. We have been redeemed from the curse of the law. We have the blessing of Abraham. We must speak up. The causeless curse, the undeserved curse, cannot roost on us. It has no right unless we allow it. We must choose. We must speak up. We must say, no, I am the redeemed. I tell you, every day we ought to be saying, I am the redeemed. I am the redeemed. We're redeemed from the curse of the law. The curse of the law says that disease is not mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy can come upon those who choose it. But we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. That includes coronavirus because it wasn't mentioned. But it's mentioned now. We've been redeemed. We are the freeborn. We are not. We are not those that the curse can come on. And that's not just, I mean, that's throughout the Bible. Job 36, 11 says this. If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. But if they obey not, they shall perish by the sword. They shall die without knowledge. I mean, we choose. What we choose to do with the word is important. Isaiah 1, 19 says, If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. We are not the cursed. We are the blessed. The blessing of Abraham is on us because we have been redeemed. The causeless curse cannot land as long as we understand we are the redeemed. Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. I thank you tonight that the causeless curse has no right. Lord, it's unjustified. Jesus, I thank you that you paid the price that you came to pay and you became a curse for us that you now are seated at the right hand of the Father, but you became a curse that we could receive the blessing of Abraham. We are not the cursed. We refuse it. We resist it. In Jesus' name, amen.